Welcome to the Employee to Entrepreneur podcast, the podcast for the family man who's looking to escape his nine to five. So if you're an aspiring dadpreneur, then you're in the right place. I made this podcast for you because I am you. I am your host, Brendan Ryan, and I am in the midst of that transition myself. Today, I am joined by Professor Charlie T of DisruptorSchool.com, who is a Facebook ads OG. And together, we explore the question of whether you can create your own luck through entrepreneurship, through taking action, and why Facebook ads might be a good way to go about acquiring a skill that could potentially kill your job. Charlie has an amazing, amazing journey that I highly recommend you check out on his website. And I'm excited to be joined by him today. Charlie, thanks for joining me today. Hey, good to be here, man. Good to be here. Great, great. So, Charlie, you have a wild and interesting story about how you went from being a pizza delivery guy, a Little League umpire, all the way to where you are now. Can you walk us through how exactly that happened? Yeah, I'll try to keep it brief because there's it's like several epic sagas. But in short, uh, I graduated high school and, and went to school. At a, I went to I went to a place called Full Sail, uh, real world education, like a for profit, like you know, uh, trade school for basically recording arts. And uh, when I went there, I got you know I, I was going through getting degrees, and I got an associates there, and. I uh, picked up a bit of a drug habit and was a touring musician, got into radio. Um, over the next few years, developed quite the addiction, bought a house with my student loan money, uh, and then uh, ended up on Sirius XM. And um, long story short, about a decade into it, there was this fun little sex tape scandal with Hulk Hogan. Um, and as a result of that, uh, Hulk Hogan and Howard Stern were funding the were the underwriters for the Sirius XM radio station where I was a host. I was the afternoon drive guy. Uh, Bubba the Love Sponge, in case anybody knows Bubba the Love Sponge, if you're down in, in a Florida uh, type spot. And uh, when the sex tape happened, um, we were in a situation where Hulk Hogan pulled his funding, and so did Howard Stern, and went from having an afternoon drive radio show to having nothing. Uh, and I used that as basically an opportunity. You know, I was a pretty big heroin addict at the time and, uh, my band had broken up. My girl went to rehab. My roommates wouldn't, you know, hated me like all this kind of stuff. And I, I basically, when, you know, charges were being filed and court appearances were being handed out, I moved 2,500 miles across the country and got sober and got a $10 an hour job at an ad agency doing data entry. And um, had that job for about three months and then got fired, started my own agency in the uh, in an office room of, of, of another agency. And we ended up getting on AMC's show, The Pitch. And we're on the last episode of that show. They put me on TV, got, the show got canceled, like flat out, like I'm on the episode, no more TV show. Um, and it was be the AOR of uh, the agency of record for 100 Flowers, and we won. Um, and the big thing then was like, how do you use social media to spend $100,000 to promote this business? Which nowadays makes complete sense. We have to remember this is like 2012, 2013. Like the idea that you could even do that is kind of stupid and crazy. Because uh, we weren't allowed to do television. We weren't allowed to do uh, search. We weren't allowed to do radio or any of that other stuff. And as a result of what we came up with, there was a short period of time where you could buy like gift cards for people on Facebook to like 1-800-Flowers and to Starbucks and to other spots. And they started making groups and communities as a result because basically the idea was we said they have this $5 cookie and so it's like a smiley face cookie. Um, and if you bought one, you could get a voucher to send it to somebody else. And so you'd scan little QR code uh, and it would open this up and you could send it to somebody. And as a result, what we in integrated was the ability to buy one on Facebook. And if you did it, you got added to this community. And then we, $100,000 was 20,000 of these cookies. 
and we built a community of folks that paid it forward to others. And it was phenomenal and a huge success. And 1-800-Flowers basically got the CRM data for 20,000 people and definitely banked on, on you know, the 100 grand they put in. Um, but then signed on the dotted line, ink was drying. My business partner fired me because I uh, hired a really sharky lawyer who's also my business partner and the attorney for the company who had effectively written the contract in a way that uh, he could fire me at any time. There's nothing I could do about it. Uh, so I had to start another agency and another one. Started getting Facebook ads because my biggest client fired me because he said, I put a hundred bucks into Facebook. Does more than I pay you 2000 a month for. And uh, so I started, I, I licked my wounds when my credit card into Facebook the next day. And within nine months, I was supervisor at Omnicom, spending a million dollars a day for brands like CBS and Nissan, working with Activision and Apple and Levi's, et cetera. Um, and that was like nine years ago, back when Facebook didn't have a conversion pixel. And uh, since then, done over a billion in revenue, been client side, vendor side, agency side. And I've been teaching folks the like last four or five years. And uh, that's what I do with my time now. So that's as short as I can get it, basically touring musician junkie to a billion in revenue sold and being one of the people that defines how Facebook works by working with the Facebook engineering department to develop the tools that people use, um, which is bizarre. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I'm happy. Would not recommend that path to anybody. Uh, definitely don't recommend, but it worked out for me. A lot of times when I talk to people about what they should do with entrepreneurship, I usually start them with two things. One is what they're good at and one is what they really enjoy. And you mentioned that you were teaching people. So did you recognize right from the beginning that you liked teaching people or did that come later? Yeah, I mean, I think the honest truth is it started with unintentionally teaching um, when I left ad agencies, I basically didn't have, when I went to the client side, I had no coworkers. So I went to Facebook groups to just find coworkers, like people I could talk to, community. But I realized I was light years ahead of anybody in the community. And the people running those communities were terrible at their job and had no idea what they were doing. Like the ad leaks of the world and all of those spots. And so when I would ask questions, when I would ask questions or just say, hey, feedback on stuff, the comment section on my post with me just replying back to people constantly, I realized I was years ahead of everybody. And I got a lot out of like explaining things because I think if you can explain and teach something, it also keeps you really sharp and challenges the way you think on a regular basis. And I realized that emotionally I got a lot out of teaching and intellectually it kept me at the cutting edge because I was answering people's questions from all around the world on a regular basis to the point where I was getting kicked out of every one of these groups because I was ultimately a liability of their business model. Like if you're a Facebook guru, like let's say athletes, you're a Facebook guru. You've got a community that's effectively a sales funnel so that you can take advantage of somebody by selling them some bad information because you have no idea what you're doing. And somebody in there is undermining everything you're doing by set, by teaching people the things that you don't understand and probably won't for years. You got to get rid of that person. And so ultimately what happened is I got kicked out of every single group like literally every group, like I think it was like hundreds. Um, and then Raba, who now runs Triple Whale, the, C this, the, the chief evangelist at Triple Whale, um, and another of our buddies, Dylan, from Austin, Dylan Carpenter, were like, just make your own group. Because they kept following me from group to group to group. So I eventually did. And I got asked all the questions and I was a big fan of fantasy football. And I was like, all these fantasy football YouTubers have like a, have like a Patreon for like five bucks. So I would just take all the questions I got asked constantly because I was sick and tired of answering them. I just wrote them down in a little PowerPoint deck and started charging five bucks a month. And that turned into something that where I was earning like $20,000 a month. And I was just like, oh my God. Like between consulting and the, and the memberships, I was making 90 at, at 310 Nutrition and I was making 15 to 20 on Patreon, like 90 a year. And I was making that in four to five months in education, something that was almost effectively passive. That's amazing. Wow. So you were definitely one of the OGs, if you will, in Facebook ads. Like when you got started, as you mentioned, yeah. 
it was kind of weird to advertise on Facebook. Now everybody advertises on Facebook, right? So did you recognize yeah. that you were so early? And if so, did you did you see it as an opportunity? Yeah, I definitely did. I mean, how I got my first job at an ad agency, like as a media buyer, like exactly like high level was at Omnicom, that million dollars a day, right? They basically gave me two offers. One, I could join one team where it was Google and Yahoo Gemini. And it was just sitting in Excel running keyword analysis on a team of like seven people. Or I could run the Facebook side of things where because I've been running ads for six months, nine months, I had seniority over anybody else in the building. And I had a seven-figure daily budget with no boss. And I took the seven-figure daily budget with no boss because that sounded way more exciting knowing that like I'd never had a day job before. I was like, I'll take no boss as what I'll do. And I would show up in band t-shirts and torn jeans and cowboy boots and tattoos and colored hair and nail polish. And like, I showed up as me in an environment where I didn't even know how to use Outlook. And I was managing million dollar a day budgets. Like it was clearly not a fit, but I realized really early on, I think what happened for me was once I asked my boss on for some help. I was like, hey, how do I do this thing? And it was something that I would, you know, go on to do more or less every couple of days, right? Just a simple, it was a reach and frequency campaign. I didn't quite understand something. She took out her headphones and told me to check my job description and she put her headphones back in. And that was the amount of help I got. And it was, that was one, incredibly discouraging. And two, I came to realize that the reason I never got help and the reason I had no boss is because nobody had any idea what I was doing. And as soon as I got out of that environment and went to like where everybody else is out there in the world trying to figure out Facebook in 2013, 2014, 2015, and I realized that I was two to three years ahead of everybody. Um, it was, it, 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 it became very apparent as soon as I started talking to literally anybody else. Um, and that was the realization that kind of helped me move forward with something more by peer pressure than anything else. Because I had all these other folks that were eager to learn and kept following me. And they were just like, well, you got kicked out of yet another, you got kicked out of 12 groups this week. We, we they follow me to another one, follow me to another one. And I ended up building it more or less because I got peer pressured into it. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. So I, I don't think I had a plan when I started, but it was just doing the next indicated action, if that makes sense. It makes sense. Absolutely. So was when you realized that, was it exciting or was it more scary that did you ever think that this is a totally new realm and this might just be a fad that dies out? Or were you excited because you thought that this is going to catch on and, and be a big thing that it is now today? I don't think I knew back in 2013 how big Facebook was going to be. But I also didn't have any appreciation that it wouldn't work. The honest truth is, I don't think I had any idea that like ad platforms came and went. I was luckily ignorant as hell about everything. And it wasn't until maybe 2015, 2017, though that time where I realized just how powerful this stuff was and that it was becoming the dominant resource. And it's because I was at ad agencies, I was head up at ad agencies and I was, you know, managing omni-channel media marketing efforts, right? I was running Twitter and Facebook and Google and Snapchat and Tumblr and Reddit and programmatic. And the Facebook budget just kept doubling every year, right? And it came to the point where it was 5% of the budget to 90% of the budget. And... I saw the impact that it had on all of the other channels. And it became sort of this undeniable force where basically I was lucky being the right guy at the right place at the right time that was smart enough to be good at my job, but also dumb enough to not realize the magnitude of the work being done. And 
that is a blessing. But I had no idea. I don't think it was legitimately until probably 2017 that I really realized just how big Facebook was going to be. And by 2018, 2019, my standard operating procedures are more or less set in stone. And Facebook hasn't really changed any significant way since then. So what I do just makes it, I mean, it's years old and is really easy and works 90% of the time. Um, the only times what I do doesn't work is when the business isn't a good business. And then it still works, but it just tells everybody, hey, we don't have a good business. Um, so like, you know, I, I guess I kind of got lucky in that way. And I think I also had an unfair advantage in that because my media budgets were so big and because I got in so early, there was like one Facebook rep for everybody west of Chicago when I got started. And whenever the engineering team would come up with new ideas, there were very few people they could go to to test meaningfully. Like when the lead gen ad was introduced, I was one of the first people to do it. I think I may have launched the first one. And it was like, I had a contract with Nissan that said that I had to launch X amount of alphas every year. I had 10 days to basically launch an alpha and a seven-figure budget to honor the contract. Facebook comes into the office, the rep that nobody really cares about talking to, saying, I've got a brand new thing and we need somebody to test it. And my bright idea in the shower was let's use lead gen ads to sign up test drives for the 2014 Nissan Sentra and use nationwide Nissan dollars to do, you know, book up the salesperson times at every dealership. Made sense to me. And six months later, every car dealership had somebody spending all the time online just trying to load up things. And it was just like, to me, it just made sense. And I got lucky, but I did that with lead gen. I did that with DPA catalog ads. Um, I was part of CBO and dynamic creative and advanced matching. I've just been the guy that figures out how this stuff works. I'm effectively been a test pilot. I've been Chuck Yeager for Facebook for like a decade. Um, so, you know, I, I do happen to have an MBA. I do happen to have a computer science background. And you pair those two things with a seven-figure budget and no competition or structure, just a bunch of toys to play with. And eventually, I just ended up being the guy that knows how all the stuff works because I'm the guy that figured out how to use it and the guy that helped Facebook determine what to do, um, which is ridiculously unfair. But now I pass that stuff along. Yeah, eventually it works out pretty well, it seems like. So you mentioned there a couple times being in the right place at the right time or a sense of feeling lucky, um, if you will. What are your thoughts on luck? For instance, there's a traditional definition of luck being when preparation meets opportunity. Does that ring true for you at all? I think so. I mean, the lucky part was that I do have a bachelor's I do have a master's. I do have an associate's degree. My associate's degree is in recording arts. Not very applicable. But I do have a bachelor's in music business management to understand sort of the economics of business. And then I do have an MBA in marketing and business management. And my background of being a junkie helped me figure out how to extract people from their money. And my background of being a touring musician taught me how to sell to people, earn their attention, like... You know, when you're a touring musician, you, you live and die by like how much money you make in merchandise sales and negotiating contracts and stuff like that. Like that background helped so much. Even as a kid, I was selling candy bars, you know, in Little League. And I ended up even in T-Ball, I was the number one candy bar salesman. And every year I did better than the year before. And every year I got a free $100 gift card to Toys R Us and got a new Huffy every summer for like seven years. Um, Like... It was just, I think all of that prep, when it came time to, can we leverage a platform where you have to earn attention and then monetize that attention through some sort of sales funnel? And the way that you win is by being better at the type of attention you earn and understand the unit economics of that attention. 
having a business, having a master's level business degree and being a touring radio, a touring musician and radio personality where I'm good at earning attention, like the summation of those two skills, I don't think I could have been in a better place. I could have had half of that and been exposed to the same opportunity and not been prepared for it. So I definitely think like I got lucky in that the, the, the things fell my way. And also because of that background, because of everything that happened in my life, when it did break my way, I was able to be very effective with it. Like those case studies that Facebook ran, like it wasn't just giving me a new tool and me saying it worked or it didn't. I was writing full on like graduate student level case studies for their engineering team. So like I was helping them design how the software worked. Um, so I have an intimate knowledge of how it works now because it hasn't changed in, in, in five years. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things, luck and preparation, opportunity. I totally believe in that. And I think you make a bit of your own luck. But at the end of the day, I think what's most important is that I said yes and then figured it out. And I was able to do that at the right place at the right time. And I got a lot of losses along the way too. But I embraced being uncomfortable. And I made my number one objective trying to solve the biggest problem in front of me. Because for me, it was fun to problem solve. And as a result, I, I know the answers to the questions. Yeah, I love that. I love that you you embraced the uncomfort and, and had fun with it. And it makes total sense that you were in the perfect position to be able to capitalize on the opportunity, like the lead gen ad when it presented itself, you were in that position, had that knowledge and had that preparation to be able to jump right in and go after it and take advantage of it. So what about the effect of your network? I, I actually made a short form video about this the other day that oftentimes luck is conferred on us by someone else. And what I mean by that is you might be offered a job, um, you know, in the early days of Facebook or whatever to work for Facebook, or somebody might put you on to Bitcoin or something back in 2012 when it was really, really early. Did, did that happen to you at all? Can you relate to that or not so much? Um, I think there's a bit of it. Um, I think that, I think that these kind of things happen to a lot of people often. I think it's the personality of that person and the, uh, and the preparation and opportunity and where you put yourself into whether or not you can take advantage of it. Um, and also making the most out of it, I think is a subjective view. Like I have an assistant who's worked for me for three years. He's a good friend of mine, right? Like uh, he, he's, he's a, he lives in LA. Like we're good friends. He's an, he's an actor. Uh, so he's out of work a lot and he just works with me. And, and theoretically, this guy has helped me build a lot of what I teach. He could be a 99th percentile business development, Facebook advertiser guy. My definition of success would be like, wow, you are this close to the person writing the playbook. He literally wrote half of the material by like taking my stuff in and just, you know, regurgitate, you know, whatever. Like he, he, he compiled all the information, helped me write textbooks and stuff. You could say he's that close to it and he could be one of the best. But it's also subjective. For him, one of his friends needs him to kind of show up and work part-time and he gets paid really well for it. Like he's got a $35, $40 an hour job Working for a friend, he if, if I you know if I if he if I upset him or give him too much stuff, he can call me at one o'clock in the morning and cuss me out, and he's not going to get fired. His, his his definition of success is like my bread's getting buttered, and I know exactly what's coming, and as long as I continue to do what's told for me, I'm going to continue to get this. For him, the important things in life aren't the same things for me, so. I would say for him, you know, his opportunity and everything else is just like sitting at in my garage watching football three years ago, giving me shit because my social media looked bad. 
and being like, dude, I could do this better. And I was like, all right, I'll give you a hundred bucks. Do it. And he did. But he hasn't taken that opportunity to be one of the best in the world at what I do. So I think when we look at that stuff, we also have to realize that that definition of success is very subjective. And I think there's a lot of folks, it's very easy to take a victim mindset or that things happen to other people and that like some folks are just lucky and all of that stuff. And one of the things that I found is you, what you have is a ramification of the choices that you've made. And this guy could say, hey, I'm never going to earn $100,000. That only happens to people that are born rich and all this other stuff. And the honest truth is he's been exposed to everything he needs to to make you know, $50,000, $30,000 months. He's had full exposure to that if he wants it. But his personality isn't the type of person that wants to take advantage of it. Instead, he's very happy that he gets to play a bunch of video games. He's getting married. He lives with this girl. Like, they're very happy. And so his definition of happiness and success is very different than mine. Um, so I guess I believe in that you make your own luck and the opportunity comes. But it's also very much predicated on what you define that luck and that success to be. And I found that it's extraordinarily rare for people to be hyper-motivated to get something that are willing to sacrifice to get it and don't get there. Like, if you put everything into being good at something, very rarely are you not going to be better than almost anybody else. And I think you just have to find what is that thing. And I think my honest opinion is most people in my experience, haven't embraced being uncomfortable enough to be exposed to enough differences in their day, to grow enough to find that thing that they would do. Like, if you were to ask me, what would I do if I didn't have a job? I I'm doing that right now. Like, I quit my jobs. I don't legitimately feel like I've done work in two, three years. And... Very politely, I'm earning a lot more than I had before. And I left my last salary job where I was earning, you know, close to 200000 a year. And I would never go back to that job now. I would never take that pay cut now or have any of that. Like, I'm doing a lot better. But I'm just doing what I enjoy doing. And I found that because of being uncomfortable leaving that, that agency job and getting fired and all of that stuff, being you know, peer pressured into starting a Facebook group that's now like 13,000 people. And then being peer pressured into like answering some questions and seeing how things work, which started a weekly live class that I did for like three, four years. And then being peer pressured into like, hey, we keep asking these questions. Can you just write them down? I'm like, fine, I'll do it. I'll put it on Patreon. I'm a fan of the fantasy footballers. They got one for five bucks. I'll just do what they do. And... Like, if, if I had done what I wanted to do, I'd probably be very happily earning 150, 200,000 a year. But I just took it as it came and was uncomfortable. And now, you know, I, I make that in a couple of months instead of a year. Like, and I work way less. And I think it's because you've, when you find what you're good at and what you're passionate about, the world is big enough. That if you can find a way to provide undeniable value and do something above and beyond a commodity skill, you'll never have to work a day job again for the rest of your life. Um, and I don't care what you do, what you care about. Like, I mean, I think if anything, Twitch has taught us that. Like, there are people that legitimately make six figures playing video games. Like, yeah. if that doesn't show you that literally anybody can do anything, like... I think people underappreciate like how much money plumbers make and mechanics. There are guys I know, women I know that like all they want to do is fix cars and they make like a quarter million dollars a year doing it. They don't work a day in their life. They go to their office where they get to play around all day, drink a little bit, fix on some stuff, bash up their knuckles and go home. And they got a better house than half the people that work day jobs to bring their car to them. So... I don't think you find that though without being uncomfortable and being willing to invest in yourself 
and figure that out. I don't know. That, that's my view. The very long-winded answer to your simple question. <laughs> no, no. I think that's great, man. I think that you clearly did a really good job of taking a lot of action. And I like to say that from action comes clarity, meaning that the more action you take, the, the more it becomes clear what you're good at, what you enjoy doing, and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of leads you down that path. It's a kind of a co-creation, if you will, right, of of the life of your dreams. You're, you're taking action. And based on the feedback that you're getting, like in your case, people were telling you, hey, you should make this group and answer questions. And it evolved from there, right? So it's, mm -hmm. a, it's you know, you were able to read the feedback and adjust accordingly. And But you can only do that if you are taking lots of action to begin with. And so 100% agree that uh, you kind of create your own luck in that way, right? And that it yeah. can be a matter of, not just not just recognition, right? Like you recognize the opportunity when it presents itself, but also a matter of belief. Like you mentioned a friend that you had that maybe didn't capitalize on uh, an opportunity in the same way that you might have. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense that if you believe that you're lucky or you believe that you can make something out of this, you can, right? So... It's uh yeah, there was a lot there, but I think it's all all beautiful and all really good, really good advice. So what would you what would you say to somebody that's thinking about learning Facebook ads today? Like sell me on why that's a great way to kind of break out of a nine to five. If somebody was out there working a nine to five and, and they didn't like it, why would that be a good skill to invest in? Yeah, I mean, I think Facebook ads, in my opinion, like Google or search uh, and like email, are effectively at this point evergreen careers. Um, that's a job where we've got at least another decade or more before it, it even might go away. And the honest truth is it probably won't ever. Some version of that job won't ever go away. So job security is great. Second is, if you want to get into it, one of the things that I really enjoy about it is you're not paid for your time. You're paid for the impact of the work that you do. And one of the beautiful things about Facebook, for instance, is that it's a machine learning algorithm. So the more work you do, the dumber the algorithm is because you're micromanaging your employees when you're trying to train them. So it's a system predicated on working really smart so that you work less and less so the machine is better and better and doesn't need you. And ultimately, the person hiring you to run ads doesn't care if you work 15 minutes a week or 15 hours a day. They care about what their bank account looks like. And what's beautiful is the vast majority of people that run ads don't appreciate that at all. I would say 80, 90% of people that run ads don't know that. And they still think that undermining the machine and getting in the way of artificial intelligence and machine learning is a good idea because somebody told them they were smarter than the machine. So... Objectively speaking, eight, nine people out of 10 in a room completely misunderstand what the game is and are doing a job that will only make bad outcomes. So the opportunity is massive. I mean, I mean quite literally, if 10% if, if of people in digital marketing got into Facebook ads, that's hundreds of thousands of people around the world that could easily be earning six figures. Because you're also paid for what you bring to the table. And maybe you don't know what to pay, what to charge, right? Well, I started at 10 bucks an hour. And what I did is I just charged the next person a little bit more and the next person a little bit more. And I got to monthly rate and it was like 500. And I charged the next six. I charged the next seven. I charged the next 1,000. And when my calendar got full, I went back to the first person that was paying me 500 and said, hey, my new rate's a thousand bucks. And they can tell me uh, either that's great, I'll pay you a thousand or go kick rocks. And like the honest truth is, if you're doing your job right, 
the jump from 500 a month to a thousand a month is excellent. Like I'll, I'll gladly do that. If I'm hiring you, like if you're doing your job right, it's that when you raise your prices, I'm stoked that you haven't raised them more. Like one of my favorite quotes is from Hank Azaria on um, the Mark Marin WTF podcast. And he said that I am both at the same time wildly overpaid and wildly underpaid for my job. Hank Azaria, voice actor, great guy, funny dude on a lot of TV shows. He's one quarter of the cast of every member of The Simpsons. He spends about two weeks a year in a vocal booth doing all the voices. Let's say he makes $5 million. You could say, wow, this guy gets $5 million for sitting in a vocal booth two weeks out of the year. He's wildly overpaid. But The Simpsons is also a billion-dollar industry. So he's one quarter of what builds a billion-dollar industry, and he gets paid five cents on the dollar of that billion dollars. He's negligibly underpaid when you look at it that way. And the point is, running Facebook ads is the same thing. Like, if you were to pay me you know, my fee is, you know, five figures, right? Let's say you were going to come in and pay me 25K a month. You might be like, wow, 25K a month. I want this guy working every single day. And my response to you is, we're going to meet uh, maybe an hour a week or so for the first couple of months. And then after that, I'm probably only going to work a couple hours a week. And as a result, you're going to probably earn an extra 10, 20, $30,000 a day. Under Outfit, for instance, the last business, I, I'm an equity partner in them, full disclosure, but they came to Disruptor School and the Facebook Ads MBA program doing 50K a month, which is great. It has been less than two years. We do a million a week. I can't charge enough money for that. But the point is, like, that's the opportunity. And so then it just becomes a matter of this is why. And then if I want to get into it, I have to just understand what's the easiest way to leverage the scientific method to empower machine learning so that this job becomes easier and easier and easier. And that answer hasn't changed in five years because Facebook's business model hasn't changed. So it's an incredibly easy job. That is that there's a process step one to step 10. Like there is do this, do this, do this, do this, do this money. And with that being said, like there's a reason why I have like an over 90% success rate of the people that go through the Facebook ads MBA program. There's a reason why I have five businesses in the last five years that have taken from a five, six figure, five figure month, six figure month to an eight, nine figure a year um, exit. Eight, nine figure, you run, run away to a nine figure exit. Um, that's happened over and over and over again. Um, and there's a reason why 95% of ad agencies fail 95% of their clients. And why most people that disagree with what I have to say about stuff also say, well, Facebook's getting more and more expensive. It's getting more and more difficult. Uh, and it's more and more unstable and we need to find something else. And it's basically because they have no idea what they're doing. They're really bad at their job. Their business model is predicated on, can I find clients who don't need me so I can take as much credit for their overall success as possible and then use that to be the used car salesman doing the rain dance when the rain comes so I can take credit for more folks so I can sign up more people. And they're dying. And that couldn't make me happier. Not that I wish lack of success on others, but that their business model produces failure for people that are entrusting them with the success of their dreams. And in my perspective, if what you do for work is destroy opportunity, you should be ashamed of yourself. And I would Absolutely. say that is eight or nine out of 10 people in a room that run Facebook ads especially agency owners, especially the popular ones. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, 
the barrier to entry with digital marketing can be kind of low like that. So you, you got some bad players out there, if you will, that are doing exactly what you're saying, or they're just really incompetent. Right. But, um, yeah, I used, I actually got started in lead generation. Now I do sales, but when I got started, I was big on Google ads. And for the longest time, I thought that Google ads were it, like they were the best because there's direct intent behind the search versus things yeah. like, TikTok or Facebook is more interrupted marketing, right? But what I found over time actually is that Facebook ads for the niche that I was in was home services, right? And I found over time eventually that Facebook ads actually work better, even though there wasn't direct intent behind it. And I could be wrong, but I chalked this up to Facebook's algorithm just being a, a bit more powerful in terms of getting in front of the right person right the the targeting there is just so powerful and still to this day it it still works better than than google ads in my experience right uh, of course that's going to be different across different niches and industries and all that kind of stuff but uh anybody that's anybody that i've ever talked to runs facebook ads and i think that speaks volumes so yeah, I think that if you're somebody out there looking to develop a new skill, kind of exit the nine to five, escape the rat race, looking into Facebook ads is a good idea. So, Charlie, I saw one of your, your short form videos the other day where you were um, talking about ROAS or return on ad spend. And a lot of people in digital marketing or media buying, you know, that's a big metric that everybody likes to look at. But you were explaining why it's not a good metric to look at. Can you give us a quick yeah. rundown of why that is? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and my personal impression for it is, and, and I sell merchandise that says, you know, fuck ROAS. Uh, and you can go ahead and have your editor take that appropriately. Uh, just, that's what the shirt says. Because um, in my opinion, there are few things more disrespectful in a business conversation than to reference ROAS. Um, I find it to be inter a terribly offensive term that is truly poisonous to businesses. Um, and, and here's why. What is ROAS, right? ROAS is, let me ask you this. How do you define ROAS? Um, return on ad spend. So if you put in a hundred bucks, how much are you getting back? And usually people are talking about that in multiples, right? So two X, three X or whatever. Gotcha. So it's, that's the attributed revenue divided by ad spend. So let's play this out. It's attributed revenue. So it's not inclusive of all the money because we know attribution isn't 100%. And it's not necessarily purely incremental because somebody might easily show up on the email report and the Google report and the Facebook report. So it's not inclusive of everything. It's not holistic. It doesn't show all the numbers. And it's not purely incremental. Right? So it's the numerator and the fraction has no data integrity, right? We can't trust it. It's an inaccurate number. And the denominator in the fraction, the ad spend, is what did you spend on that ad or that ad set or that campaign today or this week or this month? But unless people buy on the first click, that's not inclusive of all the spend. And you have no idea how much it costs to get that sale. It's just, well, I spent this much money and one person out of that spend bought a thing. Okay. But how much money did I get to spend on that person to get them there? And how many other platforms do I have to spend on to get them there? And, and more importantly, does that person's customer journey look like anybody else's? And the answer to that question is no. Some folks have this crazy idea that a customer journey is like three days, five days, two weeks. It's decades. Like, why did you buy your car? It's not because the car salesman, right? If you have a Honda Civic, you bought that car because of decades of information. And even with the digital marketing flow, 
No two people are exposed to the same ads at the same time on the same platforms in the same order and make the same decision. That never occurs. So even if it's a retroactive report card for what happened, it's not indicative or predictive of future events. So it's a numerator that is inaccurate based on data we know we can't trust, attribution, where the number is neither holistic or, in, or incremental. So not only is it numbers we can't trust, it's not even accurate. Divided by ad spend that is by no means uh, holistic or accurate. And ultimately, that's not predictive of future behavior. And what makes it insulting, and in my opinion, one of the worst things that you could mention in a business context is basically ROAS is how much credit for everybody else's work can I take? Because you know how you make a better ROAS? You send out an email. Now you get better ROAS, you ramp up Google search. Now you get better ROAS, you make better ads. Now you make better ROAS, you improve the landing page. Now you make better ROAS, you improve the offer flow. Like everybody else in the team has to do well. And then you march in and say, well, I had a piece, so I'm going to take credit for everybody's work in a way that won't let me make a future decision and is completely inaccurate. Dividing a number that is completely inaccurate that lacks any context by another number that isn't accurate or have any context. So in that way, it's a completely useless number that is, and you have to say, well, where does it come from, right? The idea of ROAS is a new concept, realistically. It's a couple decades old. In business that has lasted for thousands and thousands of years, the concept of ROAS is incredibly young. And it was developed by salespeople at digital marketing platforms to try to say why we should get more money. ROAS doesn't exist in television. ROAS doesn't exist in billboards. ROAS doesn't exist in print. ROAS doesn't exist in call centers. So it's a number invented by salespeople to falsify the level of credit they deserve for the revenue that you get. And is neither predictive, indicative of future behavior, or accurate. So ultimately, it's a data point that has no actionability based on how much credit for everybody else's work you can take. So that being said, I legitimately don't know anything more insulting that you could bring up in a business conversation than to say, I deserve a lot of credit because everybody else did well and I'm lying to you. That's my view. So for those yeah. reasons, Shark Tank, I'm out. Uh, fuck Roas. <laughs> that was an incredibly edifying rant. Lots there. <laughs> I, I think a great point that I never even thought of until you just said it was that the concept of ROAS is very young, right? Otherwise, it would have appeared in business textbooks some decades back, but not to be found, right? So if I'm understanding you correctly, it's a gross oversimplification of something that is a lot more nuanced. Yeah. Is that right? And it's, it, and it's an inaccurate gross representation, too. Like it can yeah. never be accurate and it's highly manipulatable. Yeah. Okay. So Charlie, if somebody wants to learn more about Facebook ads or digital marketing from you, where would they go? Uh, easiest place to go is Disruptor School. Or I put my handle down in there, CT the Disruptor. Uh, you can find me on any social platform. I'm there. Um, putting up multiple pieces of content every single day. Uh, I highly recommend the YouTube. I think it's great. I'm a fun Twitter follow. Uh, I'm, I'm one of the most highly blocked people in direct consumer uh, advertising and e-commerce. And 90% of the people that block me are insecure white dudes who make their living by lying to people. Um, so for what it's worth, my scorecard, exceptionally good as far as I'm concerned. And uh, yeah, you can find me there. All this stuff is free. What I teach for free is better than what most people charge for. And it'll be better than what they sell you three years from now. Because most of the people that disagree with me generally hate everything I have to say and then directly quote what I said three, four years ago. And that's been happening for nearly a decade. And I only say that because that's what history shows. 
Um, and I was telling people to go abroad in 2018. I still get people that think audiences on Facebook matter, which to me makes no sense. I still get people saying, I, I told people in 2019, ROAS is dumb. I still get people that think ROAS matters. And I've very simply laid out why it's complete trash. And I have yet to hear any logical explanation as to why that was wrong. Um, so, yeah, if you want to be better than 95% of the people and you're willing to pay $0 to do it, follow me on Twitter and YouTube. And if you want more than that and direct support, Disruptor School is great. Um, Disruptor School, the Facebook Ads MBA program. Facebook Ads MBA program is like, if you were to hire me into your business, how would I make myself unnecessary in a few weeks to the point where I train you to do everything you would need from me so that I train your team so you don't need me, but you have my support forever. And Disruptor School is an inch deep, mile wide to put all the connected tissue of everything else that you need to be a successful business operator, CMO, and, and advertiser um, all in one place. And um, my students are all over the place, and there's a lot of good success stories. I, 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 one of my success stories is how I found you, even. And, and um, yeah, that's, so that's how you can find me. And if you disagree with anything that I have to say, please write me. Let me know. And... If you can challenge me and change the way that I think, I would love that. Like, I, I want to be challenged. I want to be told that I'm wrong and shown how so that I can do better because there are literally thousands and thousands of people around the world on six continents, nobody in Antarctica yet, fingers crossed. They rely on what I have to say. And if you can make me better, I'd be infinitely uh, appreciative. Absolutely. Absolutely. So guys, if you want to learn how to run Facebook ads from somebody that does it a bit differently than most and is having plenty of success doing so, I might add, go ahead and check out Charlie's disruptorschool.com. And if you're looking to escape the rat race, Facebook ads, as he said before, is a great way to get started doing that. So if you're thinking about making the transition from employee to entrepreneur, please do guys. We need more entrepreneurs in the world because entrepreneurs solve problems and Lord knows the world has enough of those, right? Yeah. So join me, join Charlie, take the plunge and make the transition from employee to entrepreneur. And we will see you on the other side.